welcome everyone to another episode of the Dine Sports YouTube page and podcast network. Got a pair of great guests today, but before we get to them, just wanted to go over what a, a wild weekend of NFL football we just had there. Our poor friend uh, Kyle Kirkwood there, he was seen walking off into the distance and we, ha we haven't spotted him since after his uh, beloved Steelers took an absolute beating and had a fairly embarrassing performance there but they were far from the only ones who uh, had some questionable decisions this weekend and don't know if it was you know just the fact that it was a weird year and they weren't able to go through their normal routines and they were just sort of uh, you know feeling their way through this this pandemic situation but felt like a lot of the games this weekend were decided not even so much by play on the field obviously you know that's a huge huge component of it there but there were just some truly questionable coaching decisions that went on this weekend whether it was you know pete carroll terrified to throw the ball downfield when that's essentially what their bread and butter was all season was those deep passes to lock it and dk and you know stretching the field so that it would open up those uh, run gaps and all of that stuff for Seattle, or it was, you know, Mike Rabel uh, afraid to go for it on fourth and two on Baltimore's, you know, 40 yard line, you're, you're down by a score late in the game. And, you know, you've got the best back in the league at your disposal. And you've made essentially a career out of sort of gambling for it and going for it in those situations. And uh, I can't remember if it was CBS or NBC or someone had a stat where in the last four years, down a score in the fourth quarter uh, between your opponent's 35 and 50 yard line. There have been 75 instances where uh, the, the team has had it on fourth and two or shorter. And in all 75, the team went for it until this past weekend when Tennessee punted. So don't know again, you know, it, whether it's a trend or it's a factor of uh, what's going on outside of sports. But uh, for all of you young coaches out there, definitely something to keep an eye on, you know, whenever uh, your teams do happen to go into, whether it's a championship game or uh, tournament or playoffs or whatever is, don't change your coaching style once you get to a, a bigger stage there, because in quite a few instances, it seemed to come back and actually haunt the team that uh, made all of those changes. Uh, another cool thing, though, that uh, wanted to talk about before we get into the episode, too, was just the Nickelodeon game. So, I mean, the purists out there will absolutely hate it and say, why the heck are we catering to the, you know, this ridiculous cartoon channel? You got the slime cannons going off and the SpongeBob field goals and yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to realize, too, parents are yanking their kids out of football left, right and center. Enrollment's down everyone's sort of afraid of CTE, long-term effects of concussions and repeated, you know, tackle football, flag football's going up, tackle football's going down, yada, yada, yada. So the NFL does have a legitimate problem on its hands as far as continuing to grow the game. So it was sort of a no-brainer for them to go out there and simulcast this on Nickelodeon while also having the traditional game on their uh, regular networks there. But uh, kind of cool to try and target a younger audience based on the numbers that tuned in and the feedback that we saw, at least online in you know the day, the hours immediately following that game, pretty well received, positive all around. Um, you know, we'll find out in, in years to come whether they keep doing this or if this was a one-time thing, but um, you know, kind of a unique stance that they, they took here. And at least they were trying something. And I can only hope that some of the leagues who have struggled to, you know, expand their, their traditional viewership and their listener base there, uh, like a MLB where, you know, it used to be America's pastime and now they're maybe the third or, or fourth most popular sport out of all the major leagues in, in America and North America there, uh, or, or even the CFL, especially, you know, CFL has sort of lost a generation of viewers. They, they haven't had a season, right? So they're in even tougher spots. They're going to need to get especially creative to re-engage some of the fans and get that next generation of fans coming up. And, you know, they, they laid out the blueprint for you right there. Up in Canada, it doesn't have to be Nickelodeon. You can do it with YTV or TVO Kids or something like that. And again, put a cool little spin on it there. But um, 
definitely cool to see and and uh, i'll be curious to to find out what leagues sort of take away from this little science experiment that they did there and uh you know the sports industry is the biggest copycat industry in the world so people see something that's working they're, they're going to try and emulate it and do their own version of it so who knows we might be seeing more of it and uh again doesn't really take away from your experience as a fan if you just want to watch the regular feed but gives you that option if you do have some of the younger ones uh kicking around there um to to watch something that might be more engaging for them obviously the networks had uh, their hands full because there was there was a few on the uh, traditional feeds there a few f-bombs got dropped so i don't know what kind of tape delay they had for nickelodeon but hopefully those didn't squeak through but anyways getting back to the show our first guest today longtime radio host MC, two-time cancer survivor, and former Sens in-game announcer. We've got stuntman Stu Schwartz. He's made a career of being on the radio there. You've probably heard him on Magic 100. That's now changed to Move 100 with a rebrand. But we sit down, we talk about his journey coming up and how he got involved with sort of the sports side of things and how he uh, even got his foot in the door with the senators and how, how that all sort of came to be. So very cool story there. Then we sit down with Blair Solberger, who is a registered dietitian and team nutritionist for the Miami Dolphins. So he's uh, actually the founder of the Human Element Nutrition, which is a Florida-based business. Uh, and he also runs the Human Element podcast as well. So be sure to check that out if you're uh, interested in learning more about anything that he does afterwards. But we learn all about, uh, you know, some tips and tricks as far as what to put in your body, whether you're an athlete or a non-athlete and how to keep those New Year's resolutions going uh, longer than mid-February before you're throwing in the towel. And also behind the scenes of what it really is like in, you know, an NFL lunchroom, what it's like in putting together these, you know, nutrition plans and being aware of supplements and trying to avoid getting popped for, you know, things that, aren't supposed to go into your body by the drug testing and you know whether it's intentional or unintentional because he didn't read a label closely so it's a very very cool process and some of the stuff that he got to do and um, the stories he's got to share it's a really interesting interview so hope you guys enjoy that as well and then lastly before we get to the actual interviews here just a friendly reminder we are nominated for sports podcast of the year at the ottawa awards there so you can vote daily for it. Every vote counts. You can vote once a day per email address. We'd really appreciate the support. All you have to do is head over to facesmag.ca slash awards, and there'll be a whole laundry list of awards that you can vote for there. If you want to vote for others and recognize some other names there, more power to you. But we are in the media section and then under sports podcast, and then you can select ours. You just have to put in your email address. You can opt out of receiving emails there if you want to, but we'd really appreciate any support there. We're, we're a little guy going up against some of the larger more established podcasts there and you know tsn and the athletic and stuff like that but uh we're we're going to try and turn some heads and need your support to do it so every vote counts and we would really appreciate it without further ado let's get to it here first up we're going to sit down with stuntman stew all right and joining us today on the podcast we've got stuntman stew how are you doing today sir Really good, Kyle. I'm impressed with those uh, certificates, mind you. Are they real? They're, they're real, but I'm not going to lie. Most of them are my wife's. So uh, I, I like to look smart with all of her diplomas behind me there. But I, know. I was going to say, you've got yours behind you as well, too, there. So. I'll take. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Xerox shops are good for something, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I want to apologize uh, to start off the uh, interview because you messaged me a lot on, on Twitter. And I didn't realize it until I finally saw the last one. I didn't know all these messages existed in, in a d direct message on Twitter. There's like a separate category. Yeah. And I apologize. Oh, no worries. No worries. I, you're, you're, you're a very influential man there. So I'm sure you're getting hit up by stuff all the time. So we're, we're just happy to sit down with you and have a conversation. So, uh, I mean, a, a good place to start is first and foremost, how are you doing? How are you feeling these days? I'm, I'm feeling really good. I went back to work uh, this week and uh, after being off for a year, battling my second uh, leukemia battle, that uh, uh, resurfaced last January. So it feels good to be healthy and on this side of the planet. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, you know, do, does it add sort of a sense of normalcy to your life there, given the fact that, you know, everything you've been through, COVID, homeschool, and all, everything that's going on in the world, to be able to hop on with the old crew again and get back to on air? Absolutely. Just to be able to, you know, jibber jabber every day with Angie and Janelle, just like we did last January, felt really good this week. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It means, it means from six till 10 every morning. I'm not just watching Netflix. <laughs> Yeah. Well, did I see on Twitter the other day, you've got some sort of a basement set up, like a home studio that you're recording from now? Yeah. So I've got this really fancy piece of equipment that I've only been told just touch these two buttons, nothing else. <laughs> they know The engineers know me well, so it's, yeah, it's yeah. perfectly. So it's, it's like I sound like I'm in studio, but I'm in my basement. It's a yeah. very long commute in the morning. Yeah, I was going to say, you're rocking the same commute as I am there. You have uh, two flights of stairs and then you're at the office, eh? Yes. <laughs> so uh, I'm assuming you weren't born with a microphone in your hand, right? So uh, obviously you, you got interested in, in broadcasting and all that at a certain age. W when did that all some sort of come to be for you? Well, as a kid of the 80s, I consumed a lot of television, like nonstop. I was an only child. I didn't have anybody to play. With. I mean, I had kids on the street to play with, but most of the time was in front of the TV. And I always wanted to be on TV. And I used to listen to the radio nonstop with my, my, my dad. He would drive me to school. And I remember around uh, age 10, I really wanted to be on the radio because I had my birthday announced on the radio. I'm like, that is so cool. I remember the guy who did it, the late George Balkan on CJ80 in Montreal said, happy birthday to Stuart Schwartz in Dollar Desormo. And I'm like, what? I've made it, I'm on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, do, do you remember sort of what your first foray into, whether it was radio or even doing some local television or anything like that, what it was and sort of what your feeling was when you were getting ready to go on air for the first time? Um, I did television broadcasting at Dawson College in Montreal. That was my first taste of like a news setting, even though it was only it was to tape. And the only people that watched it were in our classroom. Yeah. But I somehow BS my way into the Montreal Forum to get a press pass for only for practices during the 93 season. So I, was, I saw a lot of hockey that season. But I remember the thrill of uh, being behind the anchor desk and seeing the uh, floor director go, five, four, three, just like Wayne's World. Yeah. 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 And, and what, what was the feeling in your stomach? Was it nerves? Was it excitement? Was it, you know, all right, I, I, I've made it from that 10-year-old version of me that heard, you know, my name called on the radio. Well, like I was, because it was only live to tape and it, was, it wasn't going out to like the masses. Yeah. I had a nervous feeling in my stomach and even more because we screwed up, you had to restart the whole show over again. So the pressure was on not to screw up. It was a good yeah. lesson early on. Yeah, yeah. So it was more so just making sure you didn't make a fool of yourself that the cute girls in your class wouldn't exactly. see it than the millions around the world. Then. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, how did you end up getting, you know, hooked up with the senators and, and your initial foray into actual in-game announcements and all that? Well, this goes back to 1991. Uh, I remember emceeing a, uh, an NBA jam slam dunk competition, not for the NBA, but for the local uh, wannabes yeah. in a parking lot in 1991, wearing my Reebok pumps and going, oh, that's a jam. <laughs> now it's like, next up, Devontae Smith, what a jam. And I thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. And I always wanted to be the announcer of the Montreal Forum, the late Claude Mouton, La Troisième Etoile, the third star, <laughs> numéro 19, number 19, Larry Robinson. Yeah. And I always wanted to do that as like a side thing along with the radio and TV. So uh, when I moved to Ottawa and got started in radio and around the year 1999, a friend of mine said, hey, I'm on the promo team for the Auto Rebel Lacrosse. Do you want to join SCP announcer? I'm like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that was my first foray into sports in Ottawa. I was the public address announcer for the Auto Rebel Lacrosse and then Rebel Lacrosse owner also owned the Renegades. So mm -hmm. I made the shift from the lacrosse to football. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. <laughs> Learning on the pod. I had two spotters telling me exactly what to say because I knew football, but not enough to announce it. And then after that, it was around 2000, summer of 2006, a buddy of mine, this is before social media, a buddy of mine called me and he's like, have you seen the Senator's website? They're looking for an, announce, an announcer. I'm like, I didn't know that. So I was in the studio at the bear at the time, and I recorded a horrible uh, audition tape uh, for the Ottawa Senators as best as I could. 
Yeah. And then they called me for an audition. So I, that's how I got my uh, audition for the sense. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember what was on that uh, audition tape there all these years later? Utter shit. <laughs> it it's, like, it's not going number on. Number 15, Danny, Danny Heatley. <laughs> I think I have it somewhere. Yeah. So I was going to say, it's not going on the, the personal highlight reel of your Hall of Fame then, eh? Not a chance. <laughs> so, I mean, that first game, you know, you're actually, you've got the gig, you're, you're making the announcements and all, all of that there. It, was it more nerve wracking to do it knowing that, you know, not only is it live, but here are all these people that if you do screw up, like you can literally turn around and see everyone staring at you? Or, you know, was it more nerve wracking your first time on say, you know, Magic 100 or something like that? Um, radio has always come fairly natural to me. And even my first day on Magic was nervous, but, it wasn't as nervous as, you know, because I had done radio up until that point for like 15 years. Mm -hmm. So uh, like 13, 15 years. So I was comfortable behind the mic, but it was still nerve wracking takeover, uh, taking over a legendary station like Magic at the time. But the announcing for the first time at the Ottawa Senators was completely, completely different from anything that I have ever, ever experienced because football is different. Lacrosse is different, but NHL hockey is my baby. That's the one that I love the most. And I'm behind the mic announcing for the Ottawa Senators. Um, it was thrilling. I remember my first night, you know, being incredibly nervous. Uh, we had gone about two games before I got to announce the Senators goal and the Greg Millen on CBC said, you know, the announcer hasn't an announced a home goal yet. And he's, <laughs> he's two games in. Yeah. And it was Dean, Dean McCammond, his first goal. Nice. in the NHL. Nice. You know, on that note there, uh, over all the years that you did do the Sens home games and whether it was a, a Senators player or a you know, guest goal that got scored or whatever, was there ever a player or two who you were just hoping didn't score because their last name was such a jumble of letters that it was impossible to pronounce? Oh, definitely. Now, Every game I would go over the uh, visiting lineup and I would always talk to Gord or Dean, or if they weren't available, I would go talk to the out of town guy. I'm like, how do you announce this, this guy's name? Like, and there'd be all these hyphens and phonetics. And I, there would be names I would dread. I'm like, please do not announce that name, please, please, please. And I'll never forget Curtis McElhaney was playing, I think for the Islanders, maybe at some point. And he was the backup and, and it was Dave Schreiber that said, oh, that's McElhaney. I'm like, okay. Had McElhaney. I'm like, I couldn't pronounce it. Yeah. And sure enough, he gets put in in the second period. I'm like, now in goal for the whoever, Curtis McElhaney. <laughs> but uh, I, from that point on, I made sure that I knew every out of town player's name perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, looking back on your time with the team there, if you were to put together sort of your pantheon of, you know, these were maybe the top two or three moments that I got to experience live and whether it was announcing a goal or just, just being there and witnessing it live, what sort of, you know, your all-time best looking back? Um, definitely announcing the Stanley Cup Finals my first year, which was unbelievable. I started as a rookie and then we're in the Stanley Cup Finals. Mm -hmm. It was like nothing else, Elliot Friedman was uh, live from the press box before the game. And basically when he passed off to me, cause he's walking to the press box. Hey, it's a uh, game three, it's down the finals. We're here in the press box. There's PA announcer Stu Schwartz. And then he pointed to me. And so it's my first Stanley cup game announcing. I'm nervous enough. And then I've got CBC going to me. I'm trying not to look like I'm shitting my pants. <laughs> and I just, just put my head down and just started doing it. Uh, the next greatest moment that uh, will forever live uh, was announcing the gold medal game in 09. Mm -hmm. There was nothing better than announcing gold medal game. Um, we had, we weren't sure if we, we, we were going to that game. Thank God Jordan Everly scored when he did. And yeah. sure enough, we had a sold out rink and I couldn't even hear myself announce. Yeah. Um, announcing Alfredson's uh I think it was his thousandth point. It's all foggy with yeah. chemo brain. Um, uh, it was Alfie's night. And then announcing a player's first ever NHL goal was always special to me. Not because the player would remember it 20 years after he retires, but the fact that likely their parents, their friends are in the crowd and you don't want to screw that up. That's their special moment. You absolutely have to make it perfect. Those are the only goals that I would actually write out just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I, you know, going all the way back to uh, that gold medal game there, I was actually working in the kitchen and, uh, 
we, we had just ended our shift and I was actually driving back with uh, the Boschman. So Lori Boschman's driving us all back because we all live sort of near each other there. And we're listening to it on the radio because it was the last, whatever, five minutes of it. And I, I think we nearly ended up in the ditch because all of the boys and I, when they did do that, you know, we heard that he had scored. We were going so crazy that I was amazed that Lori uh, kept it on the road. So kudos to uh, Lori Boschman for his driving skills on that one there. And he's a dirty player in men's hockey, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, on top of all of the, the fun stuff that uh, you got to do with the senators, obviously you got to experience quite a few unique things doing sort of emceeing events, whether it's, you know, a fundraiser or a special kickoff or whatnot over the years there. Looking back, you know, what are some of the coolest things that you got to experience holding a microphone in terms of, you know, community events or kickoffs? Well, definitely the, uh, 100th anniversary game at the at Lansdowne Park was awesome yeah. between the Sands and Habs. That's something I'll never forget. That was close to the end of my tenure with the Senators. Uh, prior to that, I remember announcing the NHL All-Star Weekend. That was a, a dream come true. I was actually on, I kind of bullshitted my way to get on the ice for the Saturday skills competition. I was supposed to be announcing from up top. And I just kind of said to the producer, I'm like, wouldn't it be easier if I'm on the ice, you know, just in case, like I can be closer to the players, close to the action, thinking not a chance. And yeah. he's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no problem. So we'll put an IFB in your ear and we'll tell you what to say. So I'm standing uh, like this close to Stamkos. And I remember Claude Giroux came around. He's like, I'm going to do this and this. I'm like, okay because he thought I was like important. Yeah. I'm not, but it was, that was, that was awesome to be on the ice with the players, just standing around emceeing. Uh, another one that stands out is the uh, draft in 08 announcing the players as they came off. I would re-announce to the crowd. I mean, I didn't have to announce it because like everyone saw who, who went up. So I'm like, all oh, the uh, Tampa Bay lightning choose from the Bola Steven Stamkos. Mm -hmm. And it was, I was like right close to the stage, which was an awesome experience. Getting to announce in, in Sweden in 08 was awesome. Uh, you know, as the pro Penguins announcer on the Saturday and the Ottawa Senators announcer on the Sunday, because the, the league only sent one announcer. So that was the deal. Mm -hmm. um, community events, there was so many Sens galas where I was on stage auctioning off the players for a dinner for like, like $40,000, $50,000 and having fun with the players. Uh, when I could, I, I would give them jabs, but they, they were all great sports. Never had a bad experience with one of the, any, any one of those players. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely some cool events for sure there. And, yeah. You know, now your your focus is back to what was formerly Magic 100. It is now what, Move 100? Yeah. Move 100. So when you and the team are getting ready to do, you know, sort of a, an on-air segment in the morning, what kind of preparation goes into actually getting the next day's, you know, segment ready to go? Well, usually after the show, uh, the three of us will, will talk. Normally in studio, we would sit and talk for like 25, 30 minutes. Now, because we're all virtually, Janelle's the only one in studio. So Angie and I are broadcasting from home. So throughout the show, we're FaceTiming each other for, for the four hours. So after the show, we're like, do you want to talk about this tomorrow? And Angie will say, let's try this. And I'll throw, like, I'll throw a suggestion. And that's how we kind of put together the show. Okay. Okay. And, and so hypothetical situation here let's say angie wins the lottery tomorrow she says see you later guys i'm retiring to cabo you know I, i'm done who would be if you could have your pick of the litter of anyone in the world and they had to say yes who is your dream co-host to come in there whether it's a celebrity or otherwise j-lo j-lo <laughs> sorry angie yeah <laughs> sorry not sorry yeah are, are we strictly for scenery here or <laughs> if, it, if the roles were, were reversed angie would say sorry Stu, the rock yeah 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 so i mean before we let you go uh obviously you know you've, you've mentioned hockey is your baby you, you've grown up watching it for so long um this year obviously a little bit different all canadian division here yeah. so want to get at least your predictions on you know who's going to be the cream of the crop this year who's going to be in the the basement and, and sort of where the sends you think will end up slotting in and all of that i mean it's there are people that are much smarter than me that will give you a much more intellectual opinion i mean i think they'll be in the in the middle of the pack but for the top of the division i wouldn't be surprised if montreal runs away with it i mean montreal stacked now that could be just me my montreal roots showing but Listen, I would love nothing more than the Ottawa Senators to get there. But I think given with DJ Smith, given with all the young guys like Stutzel, let them 
work their way in. We still have Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat. We have a great nucleus of guys. I'm looking forward to seeing Eric Goodbranson on the D. And I think this club will be a contender. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, we've seen crazier stories. I mean, Cinderella stories. But I don't like whenever I hear somebody write off just on paper, like off. How do you know? Uh, how do you? We don't. We don't know. Yeah. Don't yeah. write anybody off. Yeah. If the Vegas Golden yeah, if the Vegas Golden Knights can come in and you know not have a single season of experience under their belts and go on yeah. the runs they can, there crazier things can definitely happen for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, uh, especially numbers wise, you know, how many viewers are going to be tuning in, given the fact that it is going to be all Canadian teams playing each other. And, you know, I think it's, you know, opening night, it's back to back to back with uh, home stands for, you know, Ottawa, Toronto, Toronto, yeah. Winnipeg, Winnipeg, and sort of get some of those rivalry games going there. So ho hopefully we will get to see some of those things that you probably witnessed in person when you were emceeing for the Sens there, but th those good old time hockey sort of rivalries get renewed yeah. a little. Definitely. And I hate the Leafs, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I, I was glad that you didn't at least put them at the top of the division, like, you know, TSN and Sportsnet and everyone is. So uh, I'd rather stab myself with a fork than cheer for the Leafs. Yeah. You'd rather eat your Hawaiian pizza than. Uh... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, for those that are listening right now and, and are excited to hear you back on radio, where can people tune in and, and hear you weekdays? Uh, move 100. Ottawa.ca is the site and uh, on the dial, if you're still doing that, it's uh, move 100. And if you yell at your speaker, your smart speaker, you go, Alexa, play move 100. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, it's great to see you again. We wish you all the best. And uh, for those that are listening, tune in to move 100 weekdays to catch Stu and Angie and the crew live every morning. Thanks, Kyle. Wanted to take a quick break to talk to you guys about friends of the show and sponsor for the Dine Sports YouTube page and podcast network, Rolo Golf. Listen, you look outside right now if you're in Canada, and it may not look like golf weather, but it'll be here before we know it. And if this pandemic's going to keep going on and some of the only things we're going to be able to do socially distance our golf, just like we had last year, then you're going to want to look good out on the course as well, too. And Rolo Golf has you covered. Their latest arrivals will make sure that you're looking good on the course in unique prints that are only available for limited amount of time and limited quantities. Let's head over to Rolo.golf today. That's their website. It's not a .com. It's dot golf address so rollo.golf and shop their latest arrivals you can use the promo code dines15 at checkout that'll save you 15 percent on your order and it'll make sure that they know who sent you there as well so head on over check out their latest collections pick yourself up something new new year new you new wardrobe for the golf course use promo code dines15 today All right, and sitting down with us tonight, we have Blair Solberger. How are you doing tonight, sir? Uh, doing pretty good. It's uh, it's a little chilly, like a chilly 40-something degrees here in Florida. So. Uh, well, <laughs> you, you know what? You're not going to get any sympathy out of me here. We're recording in Ottawa up in Canada, so uh, you're, you're chilly sitting there in a t-shirt and, uh, you know, we've got snow banks uh, up to our shoulders outside right now. So. What banks? What's the, what was that word you used? No? <laughs> yeah that's snow banks not sandbanks there <laughs> so uh, i mean for those that are listening right now you, you yourself are a registered dietitian correct correct yeah okay so th there's lots of terms that even if you throw it into google right there's you know registered dietitian there's nutritionist there's food coach there's uh, all sorts of stuff that's out there right now so how does sort of your designation differ from some of the other things that are out there floating around Okay. Yeah. Um, so in some states, they're the same thing, at least with dietitian and nutritionist. Um, a lot of states, they're not. But so to be a registered dietitian, when I went through it, I, I opted to go through a master's program, but you had to um, complete a four-year degree at an accredited university and an internship and then register with the um, American Dietetics Association or the mm -hmm. uh, CDN. So it's the governmental body that governs being a dietitian or like a certified nutritionist. Um, like I said, some states you can just take a degree online, like precision nutrition and call yourself a nutritionist or a food coach. Um, nowadays, you actually have to get a master's. They've changed it. I guess a lot of people didn't have enough information uh, just doing the four-year degree. So it requires a master's degree at this point. 
Um, but yeah, so it's it's a lot of school and, and a certification from the government is the designation difference between a, a registered dietitian and being a nutritionist. Yeah, yeah. So essentially what you've done is you've gone through the proper channels, whereas, you know, someone could call themselves, you know, a food coach or whatever sort of fly by night designation they have. And they, they've done, you know, a, a two hour course online. Right. right yeah. It, I, it, I met somebody the other day that was called a fasting coach. I oh, thought that was an interesting way to dance around calling yourself a nutritionist, but <laughs> German, right. Yeah, yeah, they're getting creative with it, at least. So, I mean, right out of graduation there, you ended up with a do job with the Miami Dolphins there. So what, what was sort of just even your day-to-day -day role with the team? Yeah, um, I was the team sports nutritionist was my role. And it was very interesting, like, how many different roles I kind of filled. Um, for the most part, I was in like daily, I was in charge um, that their meetings were, or that their uh, pre and post nutrition for practice was handled. So that was making sure snacks were available, certain supplements, um, and then getting like post recovery type stuff ready for when they came back in from practice. Uh, their days are so jam packed with uh, meetings and physical therapy and all kinds of stuff. They don't really have time to do that themselves more often than not. Um, and then from there, I also helped structure all the meals uh, that our kids, we had a full service kitchen. Not every NFL team does, but we had breakfast, lunch, and dinner served at the kitchen on site. So I would help coordinate all the meals and the selections there. And then I was also available for just one-on-one -on -one meetings if guys had special needs or were coming out of surgery. I mean, heck, they even threw me into practice. I got tackled by a couple of D linemen every once in a while, like holding pads. So I was, I was there to do whatever I could, nutrition or otherwise. So, yeah, yeah. So I mean, when you're helping to sort of put together some of these meal plans here for players, you know, you, you just said it. Obviously, you've, you've got D linemen, you've got O linemen, you've got wide receivers. Everyone's different body types from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other. You know, what is some of the main differences that there would be in the actual meal plans for say a wide receiver or a 370 pound offensive lineman? Yeah, um, I mean, that's, it's almost as variable as just like from me to you where everyone's, even within the wide receivers, everyone's very different. Um, I can recall, you know, two linemen, one, they were eating about the same amount and one was losing weight and the other was maintaining. Mm -hmm. And they were roughly the same size. So, I mean, some guys, it, it's how much they do outside versus, you know, are they strictly just working out during practice? But, I mean, I would say calorically the difference, the, the linemen were probably eating a good like 2,500 to 3,000 calories more than your average wide receiver. Um, you know, and that's, that's most people's day. And that, yeah. they're eating that like on top of already a pretty calorically high um, diet. I guess, you know, also, so it's really hard to write an exact meal plan for, I mean, when you consider every single guy on the team, plus the practice squad, and sometimes the coaches want them to, you're looking at 90 people, you know, it's really hard to be too tailored. So a lot of times it boils down to education and signage. So instead of saying like, oh, here's your calories, eat this every day at lunch, we would assign like action words to like protein builds carbs fuel and then kind of uh, assign that with the foods in the cafeteria and help them make their own choices mm -hmm. and then that way from there like based on where their weight and body fat percentage is moving as we tracked it we could be more specific with guys that were struggling versus some some guys were perfectly fine on their own and didn't really need the extra attention yeah yeah. So, you know, obviously it's a little bit easier to sort of keep tabs on the players when it's in season, right? Like you're saying, they're at the facilities, they're, they're at the cafeterias. You can sort of keep an eye on what they're putting into their bodies there. How different is it in off season as far as, you know, are, are you creating these meal plans for them and you just sort of hope for the best that they follow them? Or do you have pre sort of scheduled check-ins with them of, you know, Hey, we're going to hop on whatever FaceTime every two weeks and we're going to update and, you know, jig things around here to sort of adjust to the things that are going on in your life right now. What, what, what does it look like off season versus in season? Um, honestly, more the first uh, that you mentioned, just kind of hoping for the best, you know, yeah. some guys it's, you know, Kiko Alonso wouldn't leave my office and he would text me <laughs> randomly. I mean, that guy was so in tune and he had a new supplement he was trying and wanted the information and 
you know, he and I got to be really close. We still text all that. He's out in, I think, San Francisco now. But, you know, it was just very hands-on with him because he wanted the best for himself. And some guys, you know, probably wouldn't have talked to me if I hadn't made them or, like, sat down <laughs> with them, you know. Um, so, you know, like I've said, some guys would text me off-season. I got a few, like, 1 a.m. texts from guys on the West Coast, you know, hey, what do you think? I'm like, <laughs> it's 1 o'clock in the morning, let me alone, you know, or um, I got a call one time from a tight end who was, hey, I'm at GNC, what can I have? I'm like, I don't know. Like, are, you need to tell me some Otley, look for this, you know, label on the package to tell you that it's clean. And he's like, oh, okay, well, if I test uh, with a illegal substance, you're paying my fine. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but so it really was just hoping for the best. Some guys did care to check in with me or I would try to call guys that I thought were higher needs and stay in touch with them. But honestly, a lot of the coaches are gone for two weeks, two months, depending on the break. And it's just like, all right, we just put in 90 to hundred hours a week for the past four and a half months. You know, I'm wiping my hands and going home. So, yeah. I mean, it was pretty much off season as a good, until camp started or OTAs and that kind of stuff. It was very much off season, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to use a basketball analogy here, right, you, you look at Kobe Bryant in the offseason would be in the gym, working out like a maniac, you know, treating his body like a temple, counting calories, everything like that. And then you would have Shaq who, hey, I'm in the offseason here. I'm going to float in a pool, right? I'm going to eat fried chicken. I'm going to smoke cigars. I'm going to enjoy my offseason there, right? So if you had to just even ballpark percentage wise, you know, what what's sort of the split between the guys who really enjoy the off season versus the guys that are sort of still trying to maintain that balance throughout the year. Once you get back into training camp there, is it just a disaster as far as most of them go, or is it like a 50 50 split? What's sort of the breakdown? I would go close to 80% of them. I would say, uh, you know, plus or minus were good, you know, yeah. came back pretty solid. You know, they needed some help conditioning, but some of them even had off season strength and conditioning coaches. They mm -hmm. saw we had relationships with some in the area, but, um, you know, there's less handholding than people think. I mean, there is a lot of that, don't get me wrong, um, but they're pros. This is their job. You know, it's up to them. I mean, they can get fined for testing overweight and over fat, not the first day back from off season, but, you know, very quickly, it's like, okay, you need to get in line or, you know, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick famously had an interview after he came back and, uh, during camp and they were like yeah he was like well right now i'm in peak off season shape you know i have seven kids most of their birthdays are in the off season so uh you know i'm in peak off season shape a lot of a lot of cake uh but give me a few weeks i'll be in peak season shape. you know what i mean so if some guys do let it go um we fortunately didn't have too many kelvin benjamins that came back fat and happy and you know couldn't i mean i think he was pretty famous for coming back pretty chunky with the panthers that one season yeah he, he enjoyed heart. his off season that, that year for sure. Yeah, a little too much. Or Eddie Lacy, I think, was famous. He had, he had weight stipulations in his contract at one point because <laughs> he, he just couldn't couldn't rein it in. Yeah, yeah. Once they start factoring in your actual uh, body mass index into your uh, playing contracts, that's not usually a good sign for the direction that your career is headed. Eh? Yeah, no. <laughs> so you know, obviously, a ton has changed, especially in the last twenty years, as far as you know. The, the diets that are out there, the, the supplements, the, the this, that, the other. And, you know, the information is now definitely out there as far as players should know what they should and shouldn't be putting into their body. And, um, you know, what, what'll, what are good fats versus unhealthy fats and all of that. But even still though, you've got to realize that for a lot of these players, you know, uh, it's either home cooking with, with mom and dad all through high school. And then they go to a div one program where they're just on the meal plan there as well too. So by the time they get to the NFL, it, you know, what, what's sort of their knowledge base are, are, do you find people are more knowledgeable about what they should and shouldn't be eating these days? Or is it still similar to 30 years ago where, you know, you, you still need to sort of coach them up as far as what, what is good nutrition for them? Yeah. That's a really good question because so they, I think it's pretty split. Like I mentioned, there are some guys that are very in tune and, and I had great conversations with them because I knew how much they understood and I could talk to them on a very like scientific level about nutrition. And then other guys, it was, you know, trying to speak their languages just to get them to try a supplement. Um, 
that I knew was beneficial, but they, it was the wrong color or they just weren't interested, you know? So, um, it, and I think part of it too, is like, we do think that at college, you go to a Clemson or a Florida state or one of these big programs and they do have multiple dietitians that they would be in tune. But I've honestly noticed over my career that most college nutrition programs are almost more of a recruiting tool than a, actually for the players. Mm-hmm. Um, look at all our snacks, look at all these supplements, look at the things that we have. It's very attractive to guys that we're trying to recruit versus actually educating them. Cause I, I did a presentation for the rookies where I explained what a dietitian is mm-hmm. and the ways that I can help with sleep, with hormones, with weight, with performance. And I, my first questions were, how many of you know what a dietitian is? And very few of them raised their hand. And then I asked, how many of you had a dietitian in your program? And maybe half. And then what did you think that person did? And one guy yelled out, uh, nothing, absolutely nothing. You know, <laughs> so it, it, was a, it was a wake-up call for me where you do have a lot of these ingrained behaviors from mama's home cooking. And did they learn anything at college? So um i think the nfl was the first league that required every team to have a dietitian in some capacity um it doesn't have to be full-time uh it doesn't have to be part-time it can be a contract where they come in you know once twice a month and you know that kind of stuff but hockey's still lagging behind i think basketball's catching up um you know so it's it's kind of a crap shoot still where it's like some guys i mentioned are very in tune but some guys, you know, and then they're already getting paid. So why change now? They, you know, it's really trying to get them to buy in to how much better they feel, how much longer they'll play if they take nutrition seriously, um, which is going to be, it's, I mean, at that point, it's like motivational interviewing more so than just nutrition counseling. So, yeah. yeah. Did you find that maybe it was more of the veteran players who, as they were st- starting to, you know, get to the end of their careers, and they're realizing, okay, I, I can't get away with, you know, scarfing down a cheeseburger and going out there and running, you know, a, a 4, 10, 40 or something like that. And, you know, they're looking for those added advantages that were taking their nutrition a little bit more seriously, or is it, again, does it just sort of come down to a case by case basis? Yeah, I, I think that trend is correct. You know, the guys that were older or towards the end of their career more often than not took it seriously, but there definitely were some younger guys that really, were bought in or, and, and I was thankful to have my first season, at least uh, Cam Wake was there 36 years old. He was older than I am. And, uh, you know, which is funny to say, cause all these guys are like a foot taller and, you know, 50 to 80 pounds heavier than me, but um, calling them kids. But yeah. So like having someone like that, where I can point an example and be like, look at how great this guy looks, how he's playing his performance level at 36 years old. And look at his food behaviors, mm-hmm. you know, so that was a good resource. I know that's anecdotal, but still it's it proofs in the pudding. I mean, the guy was crushing it until about a year ago when he, you know, retired, but yeah. So I do think that it was more often than not the older guys, Dwayne Allen, Cam Waite, that really took the extra care in their nutrition because they did need that advantage and that leg up to stay up, you know, up with the young guys who could scarf cheeseburgers and still hit 40 <laughs> tackles a game, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, famously, you know, LeBron almost flaunts it in the fact that he spends a million dollars a year on a personal chef and his nutrition, like 1.5 million on home trainers, like literally takes that whole, my body is a temple thing to the next level. With with, with your time with the Dolphins, who were maybe two or three players who really stood out to you as, you know, that shining example of like, this guy's the LeBron of, the sport as far as how he treats his body yeah i mean dad cam Wake just mentioned him uh he would order like 20 30 pounds of lean fish from our kitchen like they he would order through there i mean so he was not only eating well at the facility but he was buying in bulk from the facility through their food providers to have it as home you know, I mean, he was very in tune. Uh, Kiko, who I mentioned, like his his diet was very serious to him, but he was also constantly finding new supplements, even something I'd never heard of that I'd be like, I don't, I have to look into that. I've never heard of that, you know, but <laughs> yeah. he, was, he was, he was very, you know, up there. And then uh, Dwayne Allen, across the board, uh, I think he was probably the closest to that LeBron where nutrition was very serious, but he's also very passionate about the 
physical therapy and flexibility and like putting in the time for all of these components to how your body works so that you are primed, you heal faster, you repair quicker, you are ready to go and you're less capable of being injured because of truly taking care of your body. Like that is their paycheck is their body. So, you know, the more serious they take it, the better it's going to perform for them. So uh, those are definitely three. I didn't get the fortunate uh, to work with, you know, Tom Brady, who I know is everyone's like pinnacle of <laughs> the man's what, 400 now and he's still playing. Uh, uh, yeah. Pretty, uh, you know, yeah, and until I see a, a birth certificate there, you could tell me any age and I would believe it with him there. So, <laughs> yeah. so I mean, shifting gears a little bit here, let, let's say there was, you know, either a parent listening with some high school age kids or even a high school age athlete themselves there who is looking to sort of revamp their nutrition and build some healthy eating habits there. What are the healthy eating habits that you would most recommend, like, getting used to them now and make them a staple of your diet so that you are further ahead down the road once you do get to college, once you do go pro, once you, you know, do whatever it is in the next phase of your career? Yeah, um, great question. Uh, so the easiest piece of advice for anybody, you know, developing as an athlete would be focusing on nutrient dense or single ingredient foods. You know, if it is the item that it is, it's probably pretty good for you, like a sweet potato, an apple, a piece of meat. Uh, prepackaged things, things laden with sugar um, or using salt as a preservative, that kind of stuff. I actually am a huge proponent of salt for athletes. It's very necessary for proper hydration, but there's a lot of hidden salt in prepackaged items. Mm -hmm. So moving away from quick service food and going to fast food restaurants to, you know, single ingredient nutrient dense foods is square one. I mean, if you can, if you can take down that basic piece of advice, um, high protein you need to recover you really need to repair um and then hydration i mean really getting down a good system of using water both water and what we call ors or oral rehydration solutions um like drip drop uh, gatorade would be an example um liquid iv were the ones we mainly use but um those three tenants are going to be like the biggest baseline for making sure you have a good you know behavior system around your diet and your food as an athlete mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What, what's like the number one mistake you see people whether they're an athlete or not making when it comes to their relationship with food that results in them ultimately gaining weight or fat or all, all the things that they would come to see a dietitian to see about yeah so i i just came up with this term recently it's called nutrition scapegoating which <laughs> is where uh you pick something and make that the bad guy uh, typically, our own behavior and our relationship with food overall is, is the issue. And we decide that carbs are bad or milk is bad or sugar is the enemy. And we, we like point the finger or we try to cut it out of our lives, but you're not dealing with that actual food relationship. And there's a lot of mental health and mindset that comes along with food because it's everything to us we celebrate with it a lot of people do or don't eat when they're depressed it's emotional it's happy it's sad so like it's hard to just say like oh i'm not losing weight because carbs you know i'm not and so i i think that we create these scapegoats and just say like this is the problem if i could just eliminate this i would be happy and have abs and make a million dollars a year and you know unfortunately that's not the way the world works we have to deal with that. like in all things we have to deal with ourselves first <laughs> uh, i know that's easier said than done but um there it is folks yeah yeah so obviously you know we're, we're in a new year here obviously new year's resolutions are, are a huge thing so what is what is your sort of experience for for those people who are you know wanting to lose weight or wanting to add on muscle or whatever what what's something they can do that will ensure that the things that they're putting into place will last longer than, you know, the 30th of January or mid-February? What's, what, what are the mistakes people make when they are launching these ambitious goals that ultimately end up, you know, tripping them up and they end up quitting two, three months in? Yeah, um, I think two main things. Number one is trying to do it all alone. Mm -hmm. um, there are professionals out there to help with this kind of stuff that have seen plenty of experiences and are aware of those pitfalls and to help you with that journey you don't have to do it alone and you know a lot of times people do want to just like 
oh, this is the answer. I read it online, so I'm just going to take care of it. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, and actually, I wrote for a magazine on the topic of motivation versus determination. I think that's another big one is people put too much emphasis on motivation. And motivation is a great tool. And, you know, New Year's resolution is an outstanding motivator. But motivation is like a wave. There's a crest and a trough. And when people hit that trough, it's easy to ride it right until that trough hits. And all of a sudden, you've got to start going uphill. And it's very hard to maintain. And that's when determination comes in is it's swallowing the frog. You know, it's doing the thing that doesn't sound great, but you know needs to get done. And that's, you know, developing consistency and determination is a lot harder than riding a motivational wave. And so that's also something that maybe doesn't have to be done on your own. But it's definitely a thing to be mindful of is that we put so much emphasis on being motivated and we need to put more emphasis on being determined. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you, you've got a lot on the go right now, both as far as the thing projects you have and your own company that you just launched. Where can people find more information about, you know, the stuff that you're doing and, and even the things that you've got in the works right now? Yeah. Um, so number one places to reach me are going to be on i mean my website's perfectly accessible which is uh human element nutrition.com that's the name of my business the human element nutrition um and say it's the same on instagram the human element nutrition on instagram both of those are perfectly acceptable ways to access um all most of our programs are explained on the website there is one i'm really excited about that we just started launching which is uh for high schools and small colleges to have a contract sports dietitian myself um as kind of a way to even the playing field, you know, so small teams that, you know, can't afford the dietitian full time are always going to be a little bit underdeveloped and underfueled compared to, you know, somebody maybe in the same conference. Mm -hmm. So trying to be able to bring an affordable, accessible, like semester long relationship uh, with those teams that can't afford a full sports dietitian. So that's the newest program we launched, which isn't yet on the website. We're still building that one. But everything else, the one-on-one -on -one counseling, the uh, athletic development, that kind of stuff is currently listed on our website. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. We really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, best of luck. We were talking off camera as well. You've got your own podcast in the work there. So hopefully that, that's going well for you and we can connect again soon. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. This is an awesome platform. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Dine Sports YouTube page and podcast network. Huge thank you, as always, goes out to both of our guests today, Stuntman Stu and Blair Solberger, for sitting down with us and sharing their journeys coming up through the sports industry and all the cool things that they've been able to experience over the course of their careers. As always, if you like what you heard, make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, drop us a rating or a review, whether it's on Spotify or iTunes or wherever it is that you are getting your podcast from. We always like to get feedback from our listeners there. Also, make sure to head over to our YouTube page where we're constantly uploading bonus content and behind the scenes stuff and all sorts of cool things like that. And for those that are listening from uh, far away and might want to put a face to the names of some of the guests that we have on the show, we have all of our interviews uploaded on there as well, too. So you can kind of see uh, who it is that's actually telling you some of these stories and cool things that are going on there. Got some great guests coming up. Uh, our next episode is going to be our big NHL preview episode. Obviously, it's a return to play this week. We've got the All-Canadian division going on. We've got more NFL playoffs coming up. So uh, pretty big week in sports. Tonight, you got the College Football National Championship with Alabama and Ohio State. So it's going to be uh, going to be a fun one for sports fans and uh, lots of lots of options to choose from there. So enjoy. And until next time, we'll see you later. Thank you.